Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everyone. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I'd like to start with a couple of announcements. April 18th and 19th, Note Buyer Bootcamp is George Newberry's event for American Homeowner Preservation. Learn how to do as American Homeowner Preservation has been doing, where they buy notes for pennies on the dollar from banks. And then they keep people in their homes and then basically do rent-to-own type deals with these individual homeowners and keep them in their homes while still making a huge profit as the investor. I'm really excited to be there and to learn this whole process. So go to WealthFormula.com and grab a coupon for $200 off and make sure to be there. And uh, I still need to plan an event, by the way. Hopefully Phil will remind me. So uh, I'll do that, and then I'll let people know about that uh, about the Wealth Formula uh, event there at that time. Now, another announcement I have is something that I've been working on for some time now. It's called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. Now, this is a course, the Wealth Formula course that I have alluded to in the past, and it will be launching next week, okay? This is a course that will be taught by a star-studded faculty, including Rich Dad Advisors, Tom Wilwright, CPA, Ken McElroy, the real estate guys, Kevin Day, Dean Graziosi. These are just to name a few of those people and uh, some of the stars. I'll also be, of course, teaching in that. And if you like the way I teach, you're going to not want to miss this. In addition to the course, That course is going to come with a three-month free membership to what is going to be the Wealth Formula Network. And, uh, you know, you ask for this, and now you're going to get it. Now, Wealth Formula Network will be our online community. This is where I'm going to be spending much of my time going forward. I will probably be less active on email. I really want to be able to serve the community within there, interact with you there, now you might be wondering why didn't you create you know just use Facebook instead of creating a private forum? Well, the answer to that is that I I like to own and control my own work, and I'm very concerned that if I were to have this community on Facebook, that they could change the rules anytime, and that I have to play by their rules. Not to mention the way the forum is set up; it's pretty neat. It's going to be set up much better for the way that we will use it uh, to interact with one another. Now, if you like Wealth Formula Podcast and you are ready to take it to the next level, you're not going to want to miss this course and community. It will launch next week, coinciding with 
our 100th show. By the way, if you have not had a chance and would like to be heard on the Wealth Formula Podcast show number 100, make sure you go to Wealth Formula Podcast now and leave a message for me on SpeakPipe. Okay, that's this cool little thing that Phil put on there that allows you to talk and basically go on there and, and, and say what you want to say about Wealth Formula. You know, feel the love and we'll play it on the show. As for this week, I want to focus on a theme that is actually critically important in investing and one that I emphasize in my upcoming course as well. And that is the idea of tribal investing. You see, before I had a clue on how to invest, I thought I could just figure it out on my own. I mean, how hard could it be? It can't be like brain surgery, right? I mean, you know, and I used to do brain surgery, so I can say that with a smile. And to a certain extent, it is true. You know, the math is quite easy. And yes, there is a simple equation that I talk about all the time, which is wealth equals leverage times the product of mass and velocity. So leverage times mass times velocity. Real simple. It is. But the problem is you have to believe the numbers you plug into that equation in order for you to invest with any sort of confidence. And to be clear, apart from concepts like wealth formula banking, um, there really is no guaranteed return on investment in just about any opportunity. You know, there just really isn't. You can do all the math and due diligence you want. But at the end of the day, you have to take some kind of leap of faith when you write that check or wire that money or whatever you're going to do. And I know that all that all too well, because the first time I bought an apartment building, I did all the math right. I mean, after I read Kenny McElroy's books and they're crystal clear on how to look at real estate and uh, the math is really easy to do. But there were many things that I did wrong uh, that caused me to lose about $300,000 on that, on that whole deal and um, and it had nothing to do with the math. And boy, did I learn. In fact, I'm happy to say and that I've never actually lost money on another apartment investment since then. And a big reason for that is my discovery along the way that investing is indeed a team sport. Right. You've heard that before, I'm sure. And you might think it's cliche. But in fact, I think it's more than just a team sport sport i think it's a tribal thing right it's like really intimate thing that you have to have to be engaged in you see with the concept of tribe there is this idea that we can all benefit from the collective strengths of our community and and learn from our weaknesses yeah i mean learning is best done through mistakes but they don't need to be your mistakes right you can borrow the battle scars of others in your tribe Tribe also suggests an orderly community, you know, one which there are checks and balances. It's a way for people to create order out of an otherwise chaotic world. This, you know, and, and the same can be said for your financial tribe, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm using this analogy because I like analogies if you have not noticed because it really makes, it makes it, it really sort of illustrates the importance of it in my mind. So tribe is important. You want to have people that have your back and you want people with whom you invest to take your money personally. You want them to feel personally responsible for your money and also worry about their reputation in the community if they don't perform or if they do something malicious, you know, 
That's where checks and balances comes into play. And listen, I'm not saying that that's going to guarantee you're going to make money or not lose money. The best investors in the world lose money. There is no such thing as a deal that can't go south. Even the most skilled and experienced deal sponsors will, on occasion, lose money for their investors. But if someone is in your tribe, right, the hope is that they believe what they are telling you to be true and take responsibility as your fiduciary and don't take that lightly. That's why I say it's always important to constantly expand your tribe. You know, that whole network equals your net worth or no, it's the other way, right? Your net worth equals your network. You need to be able to trust people before you can trust their deals. Now, listen, some of you occasionally send me opportunities, you know, over email and you you want my opinion. And, you know, honestly, more often than not, when I get those, I send you a one-liner and I say, I don't know them. And then I get an email back that says, yeah, but this deal looks great. It looks awesome. And then I send an email back that says, yeah, but I don't know them. And and listen, it's not to be curt or unhelpful. I just don't look at anything unless I have some kind of a connection with the sponsor group. On the other hand, knowing an operating group well and believing in them can sometimes even convince me to get past some of my own dogmas. As you may know, our credit investor club last year uh, bought into an offshore resort development. And, you know, this is something that I ordinarily wouldn't invest in. I'm not usually looking for resort property, and I normally don't invest in developments and offshore projects. But the strength of this team and the associated brands, along with their character, made me look deeper into an opportunity that, you know what, I would have otherwise never considered. And I really do believe it's going to do well. You know, that property is called Mahogany Bay Village and Beach Club. And the lead developer, Beth Clifford, is my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast this week. So make sure that you listen to this uh, closely because it's going to be really educational. Beth is really, really smart. And for those who have thought about investing in either developments or resort properties or even investing offshore, this will be a real education to you because because she is going to approach it from the perspective of the investor and tell you how to potentially look at deals like this. So when we come back, Beth Clifford. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, 
these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, well, let me start by saying, as many of you know, one of the first projects that Wealth Formula's uh, accredited investor club participated in was the development of a luxury resort in Belize called Mahogany Bay Village. Uh, and actually, there's a name change there, so we'll get into that. But uh, now, it's not typical for me to, frankly, invest in developments or resort property. I um, mean, that's usually not what my wheelhouse is. But in this case, this opportunity, the team, the brands, everything involved were just too good to pass up for me. Um, and the story was really compelling. And my guest today on Wealth Formula Podcast is Beth Clifford, and she is the developer, um, CEO, and really the visionary and dominant force driving Mahogany Bay Village's entire ambitious project. So, Beth, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Hey, Buck. Thank you so much for having me on board, and hello to your listeners. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, share with you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know some of the listeners uh, have met you in person because they're investors. But before we get into Belize, um, you know, you had a pretty uh, impressive life before this whole Belize thing started. And just so people can kind of get to know you, can you tell us a little bit about your background? And, sure. Yeah. Tell us how you ended up at Mahogany Bay Village from whatever you were doing before. You bet. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had basically two careers in my life. Um, the first career was in technology and management consulting and really helping people to, you know, make their companies better uh, through using technology. And that was that was derived through Wall Street. Um, not to brag, but I mean, myself and a, a MIT engineer, we were the um, architects of the first FICO scoring system, what became FICO in the future. Um, so anyways, I did that for about 20 years and then wow. decided that I wanted to go do something different, which is I wanted to go do something that I have always had a passion for, which is I'm one of those crazy chicks who actually likes to build things. And, um, <laughs> and, that, and the genesis of that is I, my grandfather was a builder. And so he would take me around when I was a little girl, four, three, four, five years old, and take me to his job sites. And my guess is that's that's where my love of construction began. And so in my late 30s, I transitioned and kind of took all of that technology and solving problems and computer technology and all of that good stuff. And I then took it and kind of aimed it at the development construction arena. And so that's how I got into basically um, the change of my careers and did that. So I've been doing development for over 20 years. And in, and in those 20 years, I've done everything from build semiconductor facilities, worked on Intel, you know, D1B, worked on um, semiconductor biopharmaceutical projects, um, have built multifamily have, and medical office buildings, uh, super luxury single family residences, uh, infill projects in dc blah 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 yeah, so yeah. you know built a lot of stuff um and then where i am now is i always am building kind of buck for my portfolio and I'm, i i look at myself as wanting to always building for the investor in mind because i i'm a real estate investor at heart and an entrepreneur at heart and so mbv was all about creating a legacy project it'll be a quarter of a billion dollars when it's built out um, and building one of those big 10, 15-year projects in an asset class that I find the most attractive, and that's travel and tourism or hospitality. Yeah, 
Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, let's let's go back for a second because there's something really interesting here that I think would be valuable for people listening. You said in your late 30s, you effectively made this incredible transition. And I think, um, you know, it's admirable because I think a lot of people get into this sort of rut where, you know, the the golden handcuffs, so to speak, right, where they're they're doing the same thing and there's a fear to leave and do something that you really love and have passion for. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition? Because I think it's probably relevant to a lot of people listening. You know, Buck, it's really, you know, what you bring up with the golden handcuffs is there because, you know, I owned my own company, had a successful company, and absolutely. And so when I ended up making the change, I took an 80% pay cut in order to go do it. Now, and I, but, but I also sold my company, et cetera. But the question always for me when I made it, it seems scary when I did it, but it's always like this, the hard part is making the decision. And then, but once you make the decision, you're like, oh my God, why didn't I make this decision five years ago? Right. And, and why, why would you, you know, you, you get one life, right? That's it. That's, I haven't found anybody that I know of that gets more than one life. And so why would you do it in something that you really don't have passion for and you don't want to, you don't wake up every day and I don't have a job book. I do not have a job. Um, I work seven days a week. I probably work anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day, but what I love is my passion. So it's not a job. I don't have a job. Yeah, that's great. And that, that's exactly right. Now, just also in terms of practical matters, I know you said your, uh, your grandfather was a builder and that Mm -hmm. you were around that. How much, I mean, when you made that change, obviously you love the idea of being a builder and being involved, mm-hmm. but how much did you know about well, this Well, that's great because I didn't really bring that up. So what I looked at when I was going to make that transition is I, I said, all right, this is where I want to go. I do not know everything about construction. Now, I happen to be a handy person. I can, you know, frame a wall. I can do that kind of stuff. Um, but that certainly isn't a real estate developer. So I said, what do I know? Well, I'm a great project manager. I understand how to go put teams together. I understand how to go define the scope of work and what needs to be done and prioritize it. So those are very, those are very standard generic skills, right, Buck? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then I sat and I said, well, but those are all useful in almost any industry that you want to go into. And then I knew a lot about technology. So I went and found a business partner and a woman who owned one of the most successful construction management companies. So she she had all of the knowledge about construction and had been on job sites and been doing all of those, you know, knew it backwards and forwards and was very, very successful. And where I came in and I said, look, I've got these kind of generic skills and I have these great technology skills, which is just in time planning, the ability to go do big ERP and MRP implementations. And so what I can bring to the table is something that you don't have, which is this kind of ability to do construction in a new way that had never been done before, which is use very robust technologies. And this is pre-internet time frame. I'm aging myself back here, you know, so not quite at abacus level, but, you know, somewhere in that, in that range. And so that's where I started out, which is, I said, I'm going to lever what I already know and partner with somebody who has the 10,000, 20,000 hours of expertise that I don't know, but that I want to bootstrap and learn as much from that person. And I, I was able to go get all of 
her information probably within a thousand hours of working with her. Does that wow. make sense? Yeah, it sure does. I mean, I, I think it's brilliant. And you know, the other thing, the other point I bring up here, because I talk to a lot of people who are, who've got the golden handcuffs, who've got, you know, these ideas and, and, and opportunities. And there's this idea that maybe, you know, maybe you're too old to do it. You know, you're already, you know, 40 and, you know, 50 or whatever. But then I always go back to this idea that, Hey, how old was Mark Zuckerberg when he uh, started Facebook? And so he was, he was like 16 or 18, maybe 18, 19 years old. So he was only like really a conscious human being for like six or seven years. I mean, I mean, in reality, like if you could, you know, so so I think we have, uh, you know, there's this quote, uh, was it Bill Gates? Somebody, you know, people grossly ast- underestimate what they you know, can do in one year or they overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in five. And I think that's uh, exactly what you're talking about. Um, I just wanted to do that as a little detour because I think it's fascinating. But, you know, my listeners, for the most part, are investors. They're not developers. Uh, We have some small business people. We have some uh, real estate investors. Uh, but, you know, tell us your thoughts specifically on investing in developments. I mean, there is obviously, you know, I mentioned earlier that most of the time I'm too scared to invest in these things myself because I think of, you know, all of the things that could go wrong. Um, and so there's inherent risk with something that doesn't exist and you're making it exist, which is what makes it exciting, too. But what are some of the issues to consider from the standpoint of the investor, say, when considering a, a development project in particular that might be different from, you know, investing in a, an existing uh, structure? Yeah, and, and maybe and if it's OK, if I share some of my philosophy yes, on investing, absolutely. is that all right, Bob? Yeah, of course. So, you know, when I, I get a lot of proposals that go across my desk because, you know, being a developer, people either want a partner or whatever they want to go do. Um, so I, number one um, about development is, and I always look at it, it's, it's not, put, people always want to think about the product first or the market first. I always look at who's a developer and what's the team that they have surrounded by them? Because at the end of the day, the success, so much of the success of a project is going to be based on those two, uh, those two attributes. And so, and you probably heard me speak, um, Buck, about how we do hiring and that we, I always hire based on character, commitment, and competency in those three, in those three um, levels and in that order. And so number one, you've got to make sure you can't do a good deal with a bad person. So what's the character of the team and the people that you're getting involved in? Second is what's their commitment in it? And this is my own personal investment philosophy, Buck. I don't put money into any development that I don't see the developer and or the sponsor have money in the, and skin in the game. Mm-hmm. That's just my own personal. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm sorry, go ahead, Buck. No, no, I was just clearing my throat. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. And so, and, and the reason behind that is like everything, like you brought it up a moment ago about how we underestimate what can be done in a, in our overestimate what can be done in a year and under in five is everything. Nothing is easy in this world. Nothing is going to be just laid down and you're just going to glide through it. So you've got to go make sure that you've got a team that's going to stick through it, through thick, through thin, through every problem that's going to come up. And the best way to know that someone's going to stick into it 
is not that they're putting personal sweat equity in the game, but they're going to go put their own private resources into it. That's just my own personal. Sure. Um, the second is then, you know, team is everything. So number one, we talked about team. The second then is I always look at kind of asset class and market. So, you know, what are you looking for rates of return? And you've got to go look at the market about what is going into the ground. And so does it make sense? Like, why is this person building it? I mean, everything about development is, has to be market driven. We all know that real estate is location specific and it's very, very local. So why have they chosen the market that they have? Have they selected a product that is the highest and best use for that particular market and why are they in the market themselves like those two things need to go hand in glove so i'll use it for instance if you're in if you're investing in multifamily and somebody's going to be bringing multifamily up out of the ground then you're going to want to be looking at a market like does it have strong jobs growth does it have strong rental growth what's the current vacancy rate in the area what's the what's the trend line for um for lease prices in the in the particular area, prices to to go build at, et cetera. So you've got to go do all of that due diligence and then make sure that the market that you're in has the market drivers that then support the highest and best use and or the product or what you would call the product that's being put on the ground. So if you're in a high job growth area, that may not necessarily mean that that's the right place potentially to go put a medical facility or not. So you just need to make sure that the market indicators are the exact same indicators that would be driving yourself to go put the right product class onto the ground. So from the investor standpoint, of course, what we want to do is when we look at that private placement memorandum, when we look at the executive summary there, we want to make sure that those are the kinds of things that are, are included and, and try to understand those and, and in, in certain situations uh, verify. Um, right. It is because, you know, it's things are so much easier when you have market forces behind your back. And when market forces are not are, are coming at you right into your face, then that's going to make your your potential income stream more difficult for you to derive, correct? Whether it's for appreciation and or for cash flow, it's a beautiful thing. For instance, I did a lot of development, did eight projects in the last five years in the metro DC area. And I and I did them all where brand new metro infrastructure was being put into the ground. So I basically drafted after this race car called $4 billion silver line. So that means somebody else, Buck, is putting the money into the ground. But my research had shown that everywhere in the metro DC area where the metro was expanded, that within that time frame, within five years, appreciation rates would be going up at between 12 and 15 percent per annum. So, and that's not me spending the money, Buck. Right, right. It's not, not me spending the $4 billion to get the appreciation yep. moving. It's yep. just me being, our team being smart enough to know, well, someone's putting $4 billion into the ground. Let's go, let's go chase after that kind of a, a wind from, in our sales from our rear. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and let's, you know, since we have uh, a number of the, listeners actually invested in this uh, opportunity in Mahogany Bay already. 
Uh, sure. Let's let's use this as a case example of how this, um, you know, how how some of these things that how you looked at them based on this template that you just described, how this mm-hmm. all came together. And, and so again, so looking at so when we when I was looking for that legacy project, I wanted to number one go into the asset class with the highest rate of return, and hospitality has one. So the average cap rates of hospitality projects around the world are somewhere between nine and fourteen percent. So I think we can all agree that that's a relatively high rate of return, particularly in in, in light of other of other asset classes. So number one, that was what I wanted to go build. Then the second was our all right, if I want to go build in a high asset, in a high return asset class, now we, I want to go also find a, an appreciation play if possible. And so we spent two years looking for a market that we felt was going to be a breakout market. And I can I can go through a long analysis of it, but here's the nuts and bolts of it: is that it was basically it had to be within six hours by flight from um, St. Louis because that was where the, about the median place of the United States is. And it had to be within one time zone of east of Eastern or one time time zone of, of Pacific time, because our market was going to be Americans. And so when we did that, it turned out that the market, that, that showed to us that there were 12 Caribbean islands, that Mexico and all of Central America. And then over two years, we went through every one of those possible areas to go find what I'm making. I'm making air quotes right now, but where is the next next coming? And so when we found Belize, we found it. So, you know, you go into Costa Rica, Costa Rica is overbuilt, saturated, prices deflating. Panama isn't really a tourism market. It's really a financial hub. You know, Nicaragua, too early to invest in the wrong investor. They're people who want to live on $10,000 a year. I don't want to, I don't want to go figure that out. El Salvador, not ready for investment. You know, you can see where we went through all of it. Grand Cayman, too expensive, you know, billion dollar, billion dollar projects to go get into so we went through all of it but when we found belize we're like oh my god it's got all of the natural resources it's got all of the human capital resources that we need it's got the second largest reef and the largest living barrier reef in the world it's got so many wonderful adventure travel places and so we were we were looking at it and then going two things were going on we had predicted that Tour, that the tourism or hospitality market would be moving from the mundane, the pablum, the Taco Bell, it would be moving towards the authentic adventure tourism market, that that's where that was all moving. And so that was a prediction we made 14 years ago, is that these generic you know, sandals, things, isn't where people are going to go, that the puck is moving towards authentic travel. Um, that was one. And so, you know, that that was one of the major drivers and two, and that they want to go into a destination and people want to feel cool that they kind of found the next next. And so we think we did the right thing on it. Um, We can certainly look back now. And so not always do you have the right crystal ball. Um, but I look at two things that happened down the country in Belize is that tourism has basically tripled in size in the last three years in this country. And this may be of interest or not, but I was just interviewed for Bloomberg yesterday for, for their publications. And they're doing a feature piece, which is that Belize is now the hottest high-end new market 
for tour, for hospitality in the world. And so I spent an hour and a half on the phone with the Bloomberg Group, and that they too see the same trend, and and they'll be publishing a piece in in, uh, in their publications uh, over the next month. And uh, we're talking they were talking to me about it yesterday, so they see it as well. So you know, so that's a great thing, right? So it's yeah, good right. we've got when you've got tourism rising. You've got rates increasing. And when I spoke to Bloomberg, what I noticed when we came down here is this was a great, authentic tourism place. But the tourist or I'm sorry, the traveler that comes to Belize is changing. Fourteen years ago, it was a person with an REI backpack and and with Tiva sandals that was getting off the airplane. Today, they've got Louis Vuitton luggage and a pair of Manolos on. Yeah. And so when you see that, now all of a sudden you know that the mix of the product that's available for the guests and the resident needs to change because the person who's coming in and coming from New York City is uh, not going to be interested in staying at a two-star that's in somebody's backyard. Right, and there was a, a, a shortage of rooms, right? Ultimately, that was one of the driving forces as well. There is, and I mean, we're we're blessed in that you know we we opened up um, this year, but our tour, our vacancy, excuse me, our occupancy rate is far ahead of what we ever would have expected from um, from. From our original, our original performer numbers. Let me just give you an insight. This is really interesting. So here's who's who was at the bar last week. A friend of mine just wrote to me. I just sat at your bar and I met the following people. They were from London, Manhasset, Long Island, San Francisco, South Africa, Montserrat, and Jakarta. Well, that's an international crowd for you, right? That's that who is who was sitting at at my bar last week. That's very cool. That is, that's super cool. I mean, and it's been fun to watch this, you know, just, uh, well, let's take a, a back, back up for just a second. Let's just describe this for, you know, people who don't know about it. What the, the Mahogany Bay, um, if you want to talk about maybe, you know, how big this thing, how it's laid out, maybe just in terms of, you know, various partnerships, et cetera, just yep. for people who don't know. Yeah. So we, the, we, you know, we, basically took a page from other success stories and many people probably are familiar with projects that are in um, Florida, which are called Seaside, Rosemary Beach, Alice Beach, there's a lot of them down in that area, uh, Kamana Bay out of Grand Cayman. There's a number of wonderful projects and all of them basically are built around three pillars um, uh, within within their developments. Number one, they have a hospitality component. Number two, a permanent or residence per program. And then number three is that they have a downtown and a work a work and retail services uh, downtown. And so what they're classically called as new urbanism um, uh, resort properties. And so we really just kind of looked at what had been successful in the past and said, how do we bring that into a brand new place, uh, Belize, and build it. So that's what we have here on the ground at Mahogany Bay Village. So the village itself is made up of those three components. So one, number one component is Mahogany Bay Resort and Beach Club, which is Curio, a collection by Hilton. And so we were able to, um, to work with the Hilton Group, and we brought the very first 
significant flagged hotel into the country of Belize and really felt honored that we were we were selected and chosen to be that partner in the company. Uh, and then second is we were then building out residences and those are townhouses. And so that product, oh, back to the Hilton product. So that product is everywhere from just a king size cottage, 392 square feet to uh, 1400 square foot of what we call family cottage with two and a half bedrooms. And, and that product is all owned by investors and is put in the rental pool and, and can derive income and appreciation through ownership of the Hilton product. The second is our residence program, which is we call Mahogany Bay Homes. And that is a coastal living lifestyle community. Coastal living, many of your people uh, may be aware of, is a wonderful magazine that's out of the Time Company, Time Incorporated, which has now been um, acquired by Meredith. And so it's a, it, we couldn't have a better partnership because coastal living is all about the aspirational lifestyle of people wanting to have a second, third home and living on the coast. And so who has a better readership and a better match than for that for us? And so we were, we built, and those properties are two, three, four to five bedroom, anything from townhouses to single family residences, and that those also can go into a rental pool as well. And so those are and those are labeled and promoted under the Coastal Living brand. And then the third component is our Mahogany Bay townlet. And that is now made up of over 20 tenants retail that are providing everything from food and beverage to service, hairstyling, um, yoga, um, chocolate, manu you know, making chocolates on site to uh, we've got eight different food and beverage outlets that are part of it. So that also brings to us like a, a robust downtown and it, it allows our guests and our resident to have a better quality of stay and better quality of life when they're on product project. I'm sorry, on uh, that when they're on property, because I've got the Mahogany Bay village has been able to attract literally some of the best service providers in the country of Belize. And so they're best in class in scuba diving and fishing to, to all of those. And so those are all things that I, as a developer, certainly couldn't check any of those boxes. But what's always best, I always call it this way, which is, you know, one me plus one my tenants is equal to three. And yeah. so I myself could not have brought all of those experiences to the level of excellence that all of our partners have. Yeah, it's a really unique property. And I, I think one of the things that it's important to understand about it, it really is a village, right? I mean, it's it's kind of like, um, you know, it's like a little town and it's it's pretty cool that way. It's it's not like a big box that's kind of, you know, sterile. A lot of the, you know, big name hotels that you see, it's, it's like a little community, which is neat. Let's talk a little bit about where you are with that project and, and, you know, is it where you thought you'd be in the last year or two and, 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 you know, what do you see happening over the course of the next year or two? You bet. So our goal was always, so the, 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 Maha, the Curio product is where like 98% sold out. I think we have like three or four doors that are left. And so we'll be bringing, we're brought online now and we're open with 106 Curio hotel rooms and we'll be releasing the next tranche of hotel rooms over the, uh, during 2018. 
as our occupancy continues to grow. And our goal is that within the within two years, we'll have over 305 curio rooms available, and those will be in the rental pool. Um, we continue to grow. We're building today townhouses and single-family residences as part of the coastal living product. And we continue to add tenants. I just met with two prospective tenants today. So I've got, we've got about 20 in the village talent right now. Our goal over the next five years is to grow that to a total of 40 to 50 tenants over the next five years as we continue to grow. You know, it's like any development. We always think of it as, you know, like, you know, you're in this morning, you've got milk and cereal, right? You eat some, you eat some cereal and and then you've got to go put more cereal in, and then you got to put more milk in. And so the same thing happens with real estate development in that when you're putting in more rooftops, which is to us more hotel rooms and more residences, then that automatically drives at the requirement and the amount of traffic that you need in order to bring in more retail. So those are always symbiotic relationships. And our village is not beholden, obviously, to just our guests and our residents. It's a new downtown center for the island of Ambergris Key. And so that's what's really fun. Like we've got a huge, we've got a huge Easter egg hunt and a big Easter um, project that's going on this uh, in a couple of weeks. And so the whole community of, of Ambergris Key, locals, residents, everybody will be coming down here and having a great time over the, the Easter holiday. So, you know, it's just a fun place. We're really part of the community. Where we're going next is we acquired a piece of property on the west side of the island, which is literally the most beautiful. It's pristine beach, um, has no turtle grass. I mean, it's just, and west means it's facing the sunset. And so it's the first piece of land that we acquired in the country of Belize. And we were originally not planning on bringing that online with any vertical product, probably until the start of the of the development of 2020 but now with four almost four months of operating the curio product what we see is an enormous demand and we underestimated the slope of the line towards that high-end guest who's looking for a unique experience and so that's what i'm spending my time on now which is the master planning and development of what we call internally Mahogany Bay West. And that's going to be a planned community with us, uh, 70 lots. And on top of that, it's going to have somewhere between a 45 to 55 room, very, very special uh, hotel that will, that will run as a companion to Mahogany Bay Resort. And so details on that are forming in-house right now. Uh, we'll have specifics on it probably within the next two to three uh, weeks, but we're currently under full schematic design of bringing that property in with the expectation that it would be ready for occupancy in the high season of 2020. And you know, the good news is, as a developer, we know what it takes. Um, we've built, at Mahogany Bay Village, we've built 330,000 square feet, 240 hotel units, um, 28 residences, uh, 22, you know, 20, well, we've got even more, 26 retail locations, and we did it all in four years. So 
we hope that you know our investors will understand where you know we've we've earned our spurs. Yep. You know, we we came, we developed our plan. I think if you go back and look at our plans and you look at what we built, they're about 95% of what we said we were going to go do. We executed. Um, so I feel like you know we're very prepared. We've got the team in place, and now's the time for us to to lever that investment in team and all of the operations and the excellence that we've really dug into the ground in Belize over the last four, four and a half years, and to now really lever that to to the next phase, which will be over on the West Coast. That's fantastic. So, we, you know, we have, as I mentioned before, Investor Club, uh, Credit Investor Club, had an offering, which is uh, now closed, uh, and so there's a number of active investors, but there still is an opportunity if you have an interest in potentially picking up uh, some property on your own, um, you know, if, if that's of interest to you, certainly reach out. Um, probably the best thing to do is just to email me directly uh, so I can connect you with the uh, staff there over at Mahogany Bay. It's buck at wealthformula.com. Beth, thanks so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, this has been really, I think, a really great explanation of this whole process and and um, is there, how else can we learn about you and what you're up to? Well, you know, you can um, certainly go on to mahoganybayvillage.com and you can see what we're doing and all of, uh, you know, get, learn more about the project there. Um, I'm currently, I'm, I stay pretty quiet. And so you don't hear a lot about me, but <laughs> over the next year, or next over the next couple of months, um, I'll keep in touch with you, Buck, but that... Um, I'm going to be a little bit more vocal and a lot more speaking engagements and things like that that may be helpful and useful for your investors. Fantastic. Thanks again for being on the show. No, Buck, and thank you. I mean, you're, you've done a brilliant job. I've watched how you do due diligence on the job and, and how vigilant that you are and just your investment philosophy. So thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, Beth Clifford is always a pleasure to, to talk to, and hopefully you got a lot out of that show. I know I certainly did. Uh, listen, once again, I want to remind you that my course, Your Roadmap to Real Wealth, will be launching next week. You will be notified by email uh, when this happens. So if you're not on my email list, make sure you get on there right now. Okay, go to wealthformula.com. You can download any number of reports. You can uh, join the newsletter, the Weekly Wealth Widget, or you can also just text me at 44222 and, and type Wealth Formula, and you will get a free copy of Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth and uh, also get on my list so that you can be notified when the course is available. Next week's show will be show number 100, a big milestone here. Thanks for coming on this journey with me, Wealth Formula Nation. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. 
You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.